0: Welcome to the God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Ron Martin. And Ron.
1: Whoa! What was that big bang?
0: That was just science's assault on naturalism. Science is such a jerk, Ron. It just keeps bombing naturalism to pieces. They won't let up.
1: This week in the news, there are some very interesting articles that bring this whole topic to our attention and we want to talk about them this week. The God particle is in the news again this week. On the cover of the April issue of Scientific American is an article entitled Quantum Gaps in Big Bang Theory, and you can see articles on the multiverse reality in grocery market checkout lines, and it just seems that these issues again are in the news, filled with fascination and interest by all kinds of different people. But like you say, as science learns more about the Big Bang, naturalism seems to be on the retreat. So let me ask you the big question of the Big Bang, and that is, what is the Big Bang and where did all this stuff come from?
0: It had to have a starting point, or it had to come from somewhere. One of the first two laws of thermodynamics was violated. If matter and energy are eternal, if they've always been here, which is what the atheist has to conclude, or the purely naturalist has to conclude, then the second law of thermodynamics would state that there would be no order anywhere in the universe. We know that's not the case, so we know matter hasn't been here for infinity. In that case, it had to have been created, which violates the first law of thermodynamics. There's not a natural explanation for where all this stuff came from. So matter is not eternal. Science confirms that it's not. Matter had a starting point, And either we conclude that was a supernatural explanation, like God, um, or we come up with an alternative, unscientific make-believe theory, which is what a lot of people are trying to do to get around the reality of what scientists would call the Big Bang. Hmm. So the fact that matter exists and that the universe is expanding tells us that the universe had a distinct starting point and a point when matter was literally created from
1: nothing. The Big Bang Theory, as it grew in popularity in the 60s and 70s, underwent a lot of criticism from the scientific community because it was seen actually as a religious movement. Mm -hmm. And it was shot down because of that. Penzias is the fellow's name who discovered this background radiation, and he said that's exactly what you'd expect to see in the universe if the five books of Moses are true. And there was so much pushback in the scientific community. In fact, Hoyle, another uh, noted cosmologist of the time, basically said that the Big Bang Theory is too religious for the scientific community to accept. And of course today, cosmologists, physicists, and mathematicians that are working on this now recognize that there is virtually no other place to go to even begin to deal with the origin of the universe than this principle of what we know as the Big Bang Theory that space, time, matter, and energy all were in this one singular point called a singularity, and something not only caused that singularity to be, but released that singularity going forward in time and results in our expanding universe that we can very clearly observe, test, and measure today.
0: Remind you of what's happening with intelligent design these days? It's
1: just fascinating. In a world where we typically view science as neutral, uh, all these prejudices begin to come out. It makes you wonder if intelligent design will be accepted as the years go by and as more scientists look at this. So tell me, Nate, no one denies the beginning of the universe in that sense as evidenced from the Big Bang, but what are the issues that come up relative to the things that are in the news today and the discussion that is ongoing?
0: Whether you call it creation or the Big Bang, you're kind of referring to the same thing. Maybe it's an issue of semantics. But the Big Bang is defined as a point of infinite density and zero volume, expanding rapidly and cooling into matter over time, filling the universe that we observe today. So even for a young Earth creationist, the Big Bang is okay. Whether you Mm -hmm. think this happened 8,000 years ago or 13.7 billion years ago, the point is that it happened. This universe had a beginning. Atheists try to go further with this than they can. So what are the bounds of this issue? How far can an atheist go to come up with a naturalistic explanation for the universe with the Big Bang?
1: Well, you know, it really leaves the atheist tool bag rather empty. Everything that we observe today points to a beginning, not just a beginning of the matter of the universe, but actually of the time of the universe, and that there are limits to that matter and time. So the question for both the theist and the atheist is if we back that process up, how do we come to something before the beginning? What caused the beginning in that sense?
0: Noted atheist Anthony Kenney puts it this way. According to the Big Bang Theory, the whole matter of the universe began to exist at a particular time in the remote past. A proponent of such a theory, at least if he is an atheist, must believe that the matter of the universe came from nothing and by nothing. Pretty phenomenal quote.
1: Yeah, once in a while you'll hear even cosmologists and physicists say that the universe just popped into existence. And I always wonder, is that a technical term of physics, (laughs) popped into existence? And I think Kenny nails it here where he says, to believe that the universe came from nothing and by nothing is really a religious statement.
0: Took quite a few physics classes, Ron, and I never heard the word pop, so I don't think it's (laughs) a technical
1: term. I don't think so.
0: (laughs) So what's the evidence for the Big Bang? Let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, you can pretty much take a picture of it. The Hubble Ultra Deep Field is the furthest picture into the cosmological history that we've ever seen, and it takes a picture of the early universe at about 400 million years old, or 97% of time backwards from today into history so it sees the first three percent of time google hubble ultra deep field and you'll see a really interesting picture and i'm pretty sure when they get the last three percent ron to the very beginning they're (laughs) going to see a picture of jesus's smiling face also the redshift that you mentioned before the light from distant galaxies is lengthened and shifted to the red end of the spectrum that means that the universe is expanding in all directions and that it had a starting point the cosmic microwave background radiation that you mentioned a minute ago discovered in 1964 by Penzias and Wilson is the measurable radiation that was left over as the universe cooled after the Big Bang. It can be measured anywhere in the universe. This is not just a random thing. The abundance of primordial elements, the formation and distribution of galaxies, and the mathematics all tell us that the Big Bang is a reality. Again, you could call it creation or you could call it the Big Bang. It doesn't really matter so much. There are some minor problems with the current theory, though, Ron. These aren't problems that cause anybody to lose all that much sleep. These Hmm. are more details than they are major issues. Some of those minor issues are the flatness of the universe. The lack of cosmic microwave background shadows is an issue that some people have mentioned and brought up insufficient antimatter, although there is a really interesting study that's recently been done to show kind of how that could have come to be. We won't even get into that right (laughs) now. And problems with dark matter and dark energy. So those are some of the problems that people bring up. Again, they're mainly minor issues. They're not huge issues. Even if the Big Bang was completely rejected, there's still no reason to think that that'll happen. There would still be no atheistic explanation for the
1: universe. That's what's fascinating about this article in Scientific American is scientists are now admitting that with the current tool set that they have in mathematics, in physics, and in cosmology, they don't have the tools necessary to explain where the Big Bang came from and why it occurred the way it did and why it cooled the way it did to produce a life-spawning universe. Dr. Michio Kaku, who is probably the modern-day replacement for Carl Sagan, he's one of the most popularly quoted and televised physicists in the world today, he says, to understand this principle is to understand the mind of God. Now, in generic terms, he means that the same way Stephen Hawking did, is that God is this idea of this unresolved principle, this unresolved physic that we don't understand. But Kaku goes a little bit further, and he says... When I say God, I mean two things, intelligence and power. And he even proposes that to have these tools that would understand the Big Bang would be to understand God's language. And I think that's fascinating because he's admitting that there's both intelligence and power to the person of God.
0: So what is the point of April's issue of Scientific American? Again, the main article in that issue is quantum gaps in Big Bang Theory and that's kind of why we're having this discussion it's in the news right now for various reasons so what's the point of April's issue of Scientific American Ron
1: well like you mentioned there are what we would say or at least what cosmologists would say are minor issues with the theory of the Big Bang and with our understanding of the mechanics of it and this is uh, largely what we've been talking about there are things that happen in that expansion that physics simply cannot understand and explain at this point. But one of the things that was pointed out by Dr. Satyan uh, Devados out at Caltech, uh, he's a mathematician there and he basically says that what happens there virtually violates the law of mathematics. He says that anything that we find that goes beyond the laws of nature is what we call metanature or supernatural. And he says that this points to, the the, again, this idea that God is there, that he is powerful and intelligent and in control of his expanding universe. A lot of people react to that kind of language, but according to DeVados, he says there is simply no other explanation available to cosmology at this point.
0: There are a few predominant theories out there that try to resolve these minor problems, and I thought it would be kind of interesting to talk through those. The first one that I want to mention is the young earth creationists response to some of these issues Hmm. and they call that the Carmelli hartnett cosmological relativity solution and it agrees with the statement that the universe had a beginning and has been expanding from that point until today it tries to get around some of the minor issues that we discussed earlier and as you'd expect it tries to put an earlier date on the creation of the universe Mm -hmm. and again not even the young earth creationists would say that The big bang didn't happen they would just use maybe different terminology and agree that there was a starting point to the universe and this is their model of how that came to be whether you're a young earth creationist an old earth creationist whoever you are if you believe that god created the universe i want to make a side note here that it's never a good thing to debate the age of the universe that's just never a real strong place to start your argument so wherever you're coming from on the age of the universe The better argument is the fact that there is a universe. (laughs) That's something that naturalism alone has nothing to stand on. That's a great place. And by all appearances,
1: that universe had a beginning, a distinctive beginning.
0: Exactly. So that's the young earth creationist response to some of these minor issues. Other responses would include string theories. These attempt to resolve some of the internal problems within the Big Bang Theory. They definitely don't try to get around the Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. They try to describe some of the peculiarities. And admittedly, these theories are unable to resolve the entropy issue. They don't work with what we know to be a flat universe, and they are so far untestable. So they're not even science. Stephen Hawking came up with the imaginary time model. Geisler and Turek call this imaginary time model an imaginary theory. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of interesting. Hawking admits his theory is metaphysical and that in quote-unquote real time, the universe had a beginning. And he even said almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. So discrediting his own theory... Now we're getting to some of the fun theories, though, Ron. These are the ones that my atheist friends really like to use and debate. The first would be the cyclic model, which tries to get around the problem of the beginning of the universe and the creation of matter by saying that the universe constantly undergoes expansions and contractions between big bangs and big crunches. This cyclic model is the atheist's favorite way to try and get around the creation problem mm. because it gets around the entropy and the creation of matter issue that we already discussed. If this has always been going in a cycle, then matter could be eternal, and entropy could not have gone to infinity. In other words, we could still see order and still have matter in an eternal universe. Both those things contradict the science that we know, as does the cyclic model. Einstein ditched this concept in the 30s. It would behoove modern scientists to follow his lead. Um, And you know,
1: I haven't read any modern physicist, mathem- mathematician, or cosmologist that seriously considers this model to be mm-hmm. viable anymore. It simply goes against too many things that we do know and is unacceptable to the laws of physics as we see them. The cyclical model just simply does not work.
0: All the current evidence shows that we are in a flat universe, geometrically speaking, and a flat universe makes the big crunches necessary for a cyclic model impossible. The model is also untestable and not scientific. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 FM and 93.9 FM here in Durango. You can also listen online at kdur.org, and we're talking about the Big Bang and how it leaves naturalism without any answers as far as how all that you see around you came to be. The multiverse theory is one that is pretty popular as well. I saw it in a magazine the other day. It was titled The Multiverse Reality.
1: (laughs) I thought, wait a minute. I wonder if they mean like reality TV. I think so. Uh, You know, again, this is where Dr. Michio Kaku is doing most of his theoretical work. In fact, what he says is the idea of a multiverse actually complicates the picture. Because what that would imply is in a a multiverse scenario is that there are these other singularities out there in his terms that he says are waiting to be released. Well, once you talk about waiting to be released, you've imposed time on them. And these are, these singularities are theoretically without time. And then if they're being held back, by what force are they being held back? If they're being released, what force releases them? And in what way are they released, implying intelligence? When will they be released, implying a decision somewhere? And even though he likes the idea of the multiverse, the way he describes it is that simply says that God's mind is bigger than we expect. And so again, he's using religious terminology to deal with the fact that cosmology doesn't have the means of answering questions of where these universes, where our universes might come from.
0: So the multiverse, for all you out there that maybe haven't heard this term, refers to a situation in which there are an infinite number of universes, right? And so this is the atheist's favorite way of dealing with statistics. For example, in various debates that I've had, when I mention statistics like the probability that the first cell would assemble out of a solution where all the components already existed. So that's actually granting them a whole lot. And then we go to the statistics just of those components assembling in the right order, and we say they're 1 in 10 to the 112,000th power, right? Mm. This is nearly 1,000 times the universal probability bound, okay? So this is pretty much 1,000 times statistical impossibility. It's not going to (laughs) happen, and every scientist with integrity recognizes that. So the response usually comes from the atheist counterpart, well, if there are an infinite number of universes... Everything would happen in some universe, so we just happen to be in the universe where that happened to happen. Yep. Well, that's kind of like telling your bank after you bounce a check, well, come on, guys, there are an infinite number of banks, and in one of those banks, I'm a millionaire. So let's just say it works that way here. (laughs) So
1: please cash my check now. please cash
0: my check now.
1: It's a fascinating model to look at, but as Occam's razor says, sometimes... Uh, In fact, most times, the simplest theory is usually the best, and that kind of rules out the multiverse, (laughs) not to mention that there's no evidence for it, but it really pushes us back to this idea that theism of a God who is infinitely outside his universe but intimately involved within his universe is actually the power and the intelligence controlling all of this.
0: As we wrap up our discussion of the multiverse... I know you'd love to stay here and talk about it all day, Ron, (laughs) but I wanted to finish that section by saying that there's no evidence for the multiverse. By definition, the scientific method only works within the universe that we know. It can't work in hypothetical universes that we have no knowledge of. This hypothesis is untestable, and it's not falsifiable, and what's really interesting is it makes disproving God impossible. Because if you hypothesize an infinite number of universes that you can't test, you cannot at the same time say God couldn't be in any of those universes. That's
1: exactly right.
0: And if God was in one of those universes, by definition, he would be God over all universes. And there the atheist has an even bigger problem than he started with. So it's not a great Avenue for an atheist, unless they're just trying to get around the statistics that show naturalism doesn't work, which is usually the context in which they use it. The main point that everyone agrees on is that the universe had a beginning and that it's been expanding from that beginning until today. So, what does the Bible say about all this, Ron?
1: Here's what I find interesting. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a cosmologist. I am a technologist and someone who loves philosophy and obviously as a Christian loves the idea of theology and how how we relate to God and how God relates to us. What I find so fascinating is that there is a wealth of biblical data that actually lines up with the Big Bang Theory. As it's currently understood and popularized, I think of Romans 1.20 that tells us that creation itself tells us a lot about God's attributes, about the character of God and how he works outside of our realm of time and space. It tells us that he is infinite, that he is self-existent, that he is non-spatial and immaterial, but it also tells us that he is intelligent and powerful. And I think that's a remarkable statement that Paul makes in that book, the first chapter of Romans, that points us immediately to what the cosmologists say is the metaphysical or the metanatural, this force behind all of this going on.
0: If you want more on those characteristics, I would encourage you to read I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, chapter 2, page 93. Geisler and Turek talk a lot about that, and some of those characteristics are actually taken from that chapter.
1: So no matter what you think about the details of the Big Bang, ironically, science and the Bible actually agree on this point. The universe had a miraculous starting point. We always go back to Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, and we talk about this idea that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's basically saying that before time started, God was and God created. He created a world in our universe that is perfect for people to habitate. And in that world, we can actually discover things about him and about that world and enjoy his creation.
0: Genesis 1-2 talks about the universe being formless and void, surprisingly similar to what scientists call the singularity, this Mm -hmm. point of infinite density and zero volume, this formless and void universe that God then created everything we see out of. It all began with light and energy and was followed by matter. That's what science tells us. And that's what the next verse, Genesis 1-3, tells us. It says that God created light by speaking it into existence.
1: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. There are verses in the Bible that indicate that the universe has been expanding since then and continues to expand today. Job 9, verse 8, and chapter 26, verse 7, Psalm 104, verse 2, Isaiah 40, verse 22, and 44, verse 24, and Zechariah 12, 1, all talk about this idea of an expanding universe with remarkable accuracy. They use the Hebrew word natah, which means to stretch or to extend out or to spread out. And the Hebrew word shemayim simply means the stars, the skies, and the universe, everything that we can observe. So here we are in 2011 observing the expanding universe that Job and Psalms, the prophet Isaiah and Zechariah, actually described in their time in a way that we would call inspired by God to indicate to us that God's testimony to us about his world is accurate.
0: Imagine that, Ron. Thousands of years ago, at least six times, Scripture says that the sky, stars, and universe that you see are stretching, extending, and spreading out. And it mm. says that that continues to occur. That mm. it's not something that happened once in the past, but that it's continuing today. And then science in the 20th century says, guess what? The universe is expanding. <laughs> hey, <laughs> and I already knew that, Ron. And the Bible here's told an, me Here's that.
1: another one that will uh, shock you a little bit. The Bible actually speaks about entropy. In Psalm 102, verses 25 and 26, in Isaiah 51, 6, it says that the heavens and earth are actually wearing out. He created time with a limit to it. He started it, and he will wind it down, and all things physical will wind down with it. And this is a remarkable statement, again, from the Bible that is completely in line with scientific theory today.
0: So all the major issues that we've been discussing today were told in Scripture a couple thousand years ago. Far before science ever caught up. Yep. Agnostic Robert Jastrow recognizes this in his book, God and the Astronomers. And he says, "...now we see the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The details differ." but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. The chain of events leading to man commenced suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of light and energy. Hmm. And there, one of the outspoken agnostics of the age confirms that, yep, the Bible told us long ago what science is just discovering.
1: Yeah, Jastrow was a director of the Goddard Space Center, a very intelligent man, And remarkably, what we find in the scientific community now is more and more scientists, as they get into the area of physics, mathematics, and cosmology, these are people that are now saying, wow, I have no choice, because the evidence that they see before them is driving them back to this idea of a God who exists outside our time and outside our universe.
0: Many modern skeptics realize this and try to get around it. They look at the matter and entropy problem and they say, maybe it's always been here, even though the science tells us that that isn't possible. (laughs) They look at impossible statistics for naturalism and say, maybe there are an infinite number of parallel universes where it could be so. And they look at the impossibility of life arising through natural mechanisms and conclude aliens must have done it. (laughs) That's no joke. Coming from a Nobel Prize winning scientist. And the Christians say simply, the science is valid. The Bible told us that a few thousand years ago. Yes.
1: And I think that's a good lesson for Christians as well, and those in the religious community. There seems to be this tension that has gone on for the last hundred years since Darwin, that Christians in the religious community has kind of shied away from science. And now we're seeing a whole new generation of Christian scientists and scientists who embrace the idea of faith. As an open dialogue going forward. And I think that's a very exciting time to live in.
0: It sure is. First Corinthians one twenty puts it this way. It says that God has made the wisdom of this world foolish. So all those things were the wisdom of the skeptics. Tried to go against the wisdom of God's word, the Bible. We found through science. Guess <laughs> what? The Bible is right. And God yep, really did yep. make the wisdom of the world foolish.
1: Foolish there doesn't mean that they're stupid. It means that they're incomplete.
0: So... Here's the bottom line. The critics, using the scientific method, have backed themselves into a theological corner where they can't get away from God. This is so fascinating to me. Mm. Antony Flew went from world-renowned atheist to theist simply because of the science. This is a little excerpt from an interview between Gary Habermas and Antony Flew before Antony Flew died. And these are just a few different snippets. You can Google and find more if you want online. So Habermas asks, so you like... Arguments such as those that proceed from Big Bang cosmology and fine-tuning arguments. Flew responded, yes. I think that the most impressive arguments for God's existence are those that are supported by recent scientific discoveries. I think the argument to intelligent design is enormously stronger than it was when I first met it. The first cause, if there was a first cause, has very clearly produced everything that is going on. I suppose that does imply creation, quote, in the very beginning, unquote. I am very much impressed with physicist Gerald Schroeder's comments on Genesis 1, that this Bible account might be scientifically accurate raises the possibility that it is revelation. Hmm. Robert Jastrow concludes, and this is probably the quote of all quotes (laughs) in his book, God and the Astronomers, for the scientist who has lived by faith and the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance, he is about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. If you'd like to look more into this, I'd encourage you to read Contending with Christianity's Critics, Chapter 2 and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, chapters 3 through 4, and see where the evidence leads you. We've been talking about the Big Bang of the material universe, Ron. And I didn't want to close without talking about the Big Bang of the spiritual universe. Mm. The Big Bang of the spiritual universe is what we celebrated this past week, Easter. Jesus came and he died on a cross. God in human flesh took our sins on him so that every one of us could have a relationship with him. Now he stands with arms outstretched to you, asking you to join him in a relationship that will last for all of eternity. He says that if you will but invite him into your life, if you will open the door, he will come in. If you've never taken that step of faith to say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins. I would encourage you to do that today and begin that relationship with Him.
1: Imagine a relationship with the Creator of the universe. What an amazing thought.
0: I'd encourage you to check out a local church today. The River Church is on 860 Plymouth Drive, right off of Florida Road. It's my church, and it's a great church where you're going to be accepted for who you are and where you can pursue a relationship with God more. They're going to be meeting at about 1045 this morning. I'd encourage you to give them a shot.
1: We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of The God Solution. These are some pretty heavy things that we have talked about this morning, Nate, but they are so important, both for the atheist to ponder and for the Christian to embrace. Please tune in next week at 8.30 on Sunday morning, right here at KDUR, and listen to the show, and please visit eternityimpact.blogspot.com. That's eternityimpact.blogspot.com, and let us know what you think of this program. Feel free to send in questions, comments, concerns, I'm Ron Martin.
0: And I'm Nate Herbst.
1: Have a great day.